This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, we are talking about photography during the Civil War, and this will be the first of a two part episode. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your co-host Mary, and joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hey, everybody! And Rail Splitter Nick. What up, Rail Split Nation? Those of you, you know, looking to take a breather from all the impeachment uh, news coverage, uh, you've come here for a little bit of relaxation. Yes. I have to say, I've been like not paying any attention to the news at all, and it because I've been busy because it's the holidays and work's been kind of crazy and um, I've also been avoiding anything Star Wars right now because I don't go to see it till Saturday <laughs> oh I can't wait 6 o'clock tomorrow wow nice yes this is very exciting yes nice um, so as I said this is um, we're going to talk about Civil War photography in this episode um, but this is actually the first of a two-parter the second episode actually really has nothing to do with Civil War photography, um, but it does have something to do with photography and presidents. And I think that's all I'm going to say about it. What do you think, guys? I think that's a good idea. We yeah. might give you a little more information maybe a little bit later on. Yeah. But uh, one of the topics for today is, you know, kind of the the parent, the father of presidential photography. Mm-hmm. And then... Maybe next week we'll talk a little bit more about yeah. presidential photography. Yeah, modern day presidential photography. Very modern. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump right into it uh, tonight. Um, with And I just thought give you guys a brief overview of what photography was like during the Civil War. So the Civil War was the first major conflict that was photographed, and Matthew Brady and Alexander Gardner... Um, both played a major role in this, and we're going to talk more about them soon. The photographs taken during the Civil War, they are going to forever influence photography, especially combat photography. Um, these photographs from the Civil War, they change how war was viewed because it brought it to the home front. Like, for the first time ever, like people are seeing how horrific these battles could be they're seeing the bodies in the battlefields they're seeing like dead animals they're seeing wounded soldiers um and because remember during the revolutionary war there was no photography so people you know miles and miles sometimes hundreds of miles away from these battlefields where their husbands or sons are fighting they're not able to see any of this and now they are and um it's also going to inspire future combat photographers during World War One, World War Two, and right through to today as well. And but photography at that time was very different. It was very time consuming. And it's not like Yeah. Know. Yeah, go ahead. Right, Jamie. yeah. And I, I think it's important to to kind of also point out I like I don't have any numbers necessarily to back it up, but like the kind of the Photography, the history of photography and the history of the United States, how it, how they kind of intersected at the Civil War, where the the technology, at least as far as photo production, came to a point where they could be 
you know, produced and mass produced and sold and those kinds of things. Uh, but if you think about it, um, thinking about combat photography, I mean, of course there is combat photography currently, and there was in the other major wars, but nowhere near the level, I think of civil war, especially if you Mm -hmm. think of like the famous iconic civil war photos and, um, photos of just everybody in this, everyone in the service and kind of the, just that whole style. Like now, for for good reason, you know. There, there's just not that many. The photos just aren't quite the same, so it's it's interesting that it, it kind of peaked in a way too, mm-hmm. uh, in the Civil War. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about that, of course. But I, I, that's always been fascinating to me that um, it's the first war that's photographed, and it's probably also the most photographed war as far as like the for it being a four year war. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. And the big difference between the combat photography today compared to the Civil War is the fact that there's no photos of the battles, whereas combat photography today, you could get in there and actually conceivably take a photo of a battle happening, whereas in the Civil War, because of the processes that were used, that wasn't possible. Um, The equipment was very heavy, and uh, the pictures that we see are, like, post-battle. So they're after Antietam, after Gettysburg. And the photographers would have to lug all this equipment with them. And they also had to bring a wagon with them, which served as their darkroom. And this is where they prepared the chemicals, but also developed the photographs, too. And it's a very cramped environment that they are working in. So it's very different from today, where you, you know, and think in some cases, like, you can just... Like, you know, you take your memory card out of your camera. I don't know if that's still a thing. It's been a while since I've used a digital camera. I just use my phone now. But, you know, take your memory card out and put it in your laptop. It wasn't like that at all. It's very, very different. And, And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you would have to take your film somewhere. Oh, me too. (laughs) And then then I'm also, then there was the crazy one hour, like you'd go there and and an hour, like it only would take an hour to get your pictures. Um, so yeah, we're, we're quite spoiled now. Mm-hmm. Um, now that it's even old to, um, or it's kind of dated to, to use a memory card almost. Yeah. It, it, and I mean, I still use a memory card when I have my digital SLR, which is probably pretty, mm-hmm. pretty archaic. Nick, you would have a pretty cool camera. How does like you were taking pictures at Springfield. How does yours, like, is it Bluetooth? Like, or what is like, how does it, cause you look like yeah, you're I editing it right on your pictures. phone on my phone wow. and then put them out to the edit them on my phone using some app and then put them out to the world so yeah and then the new iPhones got the three different cameras and then the quality of those are so good as it is plus you can get apps on your phone that enhance stuff and yeah yeah that's crazy yeah very cool um so the chemicals that they used in these photographic processes had to be mixed by hand into a mixture that was called collodion, which was made up of several different types of chemicals. I'm sure none of which were very good for the health of the photographers. Um, and the subjects had to be still for quite a while because the plate had to be exposed to the light so the image could be imprinted upon it. And um, you actually can get a picture taken this way with one of the, the vintage cameras um, in Gettysburg called the Victorian Photography Studio. And I would, if you're in Gettysburg and want to get it done, I would highly recommend it. It is worth the price. Um, I had a photo taken when I was there in November 2018, and I think it was on Tintype. I can't quite remember. 
it's sad I can't remember that um but it was a really great experience and I got to pick out like a 1860s style dress to wear in it and they're very professional there and um the girl that worked with me Liz um she's one of my friends and she's really nice I I think she's still working there um so hello to her if she I think she's a listener of our podcast so hi Liz um, but anyway, it's definitely a place I would go back. So if you want to check it out, it's victorianphotostudio.com. And they also do digital f- photographs too. But I remember I had to hold still for a really long, like it felt like forever almost. But I think it was maybe like a minute. But they still, they had like the things to, from, you know, they used in the Victorian times to hold your head in place. And so you wouldn't like flinch or anything like that. But still, it was a great experience. And I got to see the camera. They developed the photo right in front of your eyes. Like they put it right in the solution. You can see it happen. And it was so cool. Um, So the different types of photography that they had in the Civil War, uh, daguerreotype was the first publicly available. It's not as common because, but it's still around during the Civil War. Uh, The most common type is probably wet plate photography, where the image is captured on a chemically coated plate, plate of glass. And tin was also used. And these are also known as ferrotypes. And then you had different, um, you know, different types of photos that you could get. You get your carte de vite, which were just very small photos. And they, be- they became quite popular during the Civil War. And Matthew Brady, actually, uh, he specialized in these at the very start of the Civil War. And there was also things called stereo views, which it's a twin lens camera used to capture the same image from separate lenses. And then the two images were placed on a viewing card and viewed through what was called a stereoscope. So did either of you two ever have a Viewmaster? I did not. I did. How could you not have a Viewmaster? Aren't you a child of the 80s? No, I did have a Viewmaster. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I did have that. Yeah, I didn't know it was called a Viewmaster. The red thing that you Mm -hmm. click through the wheel of photos on. Yeah, that's basically a stereoscope. Same type of thing is happening. And... um, but the stereoscope, like, in the Victorian era was, like, this kind of, like, had these two lenses and, like, it was elongated. Um, one of the museums I worked at had some that we would let visitors look at photos through. But it looks like a 3D image. And there was many of these produced during the Civil War. There was even ones produced of, like, like the battlefield scenes, which is just, I, I don't know why you would want to look at that in 3D, but it's Victorian times were different back then. Um, so two of the most famous photographers to come out of the Civil War. Well, hold on, real quick. The, yeah. the stereoscope. I think if um, uh, those of us who have um, uh, been to the Lincoln Home, one of the featured artifacts that actually belonged to the Lincolns and was purchased by Abraham Lincoln is a stereoscope. And one of the really fun highlights of the tour is when they they kind of show you it and they kind of give an explanation similar to kind of how Mary did, but then. Uh, they talk about how much it costs. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, it was like $200 or something. Oh, my God. Um, but, like, in, then they talked about how much that would be now, and it was, like, an extremely expensive item. I think it was something like $3,000 or something. Wow. Um, so it was one item in the Lincoln it's, – well, it's one of the few items in Lincoln Home that's actually Lincoln's. But also, um, I think it's it's one of the best, like, literal – tangible examples of, of how successful Lincoln's law practice had become toward his later years in Springfield. Um, so that's definitely a highlight of the trip. It's of the trip to the Lincoln home. Um, and it's in like the, 
it's toward the end of the tour, but it's in the front room. There's two front rooms kind of, and it's, and it's in more of the like family front room more than the entertaining, uh, front room, but still, uh, really, really a neat part of the, um, of the tour for sure. That's very cool. That's, I can't believe how much that, that's kind of like if you had bought one of the first digital cameras, how much you would have paid for that. Yes. Kind of like the, like when the HD TVs came out, they were 10, like 10 grand. Yeah. You know, of course, now they're like $800 or whatever. Yeah. Um, probably something something along those lines. Yeah. If only the iPhone would come down in price like that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the <laughs> iPhone 3 the iPhone three or whatever, those early ones are probably way down. Oh, yeah, they would be. Nick, did you have anything to add about just the general overview of Civil War photography? No, not really. I mean, I just think it'd be cool to do a, a workshop where you got to use this stuff. So I don't know if that exists out there. I know you can get some training on it. I think uh, the tattoo historian, I think, talked about it in one of his episodes. He's actually trained in a great podcast if you haven't listed. Yes, yeah. Um, so, and I don't know if the Victorian does that or not, but, you know, uh, if you do, hit me up. I'll come out there. I'll give you $10 to train <laughs> me. And then I'll work during your lunch. We could make so that a rail splitter workshop where we all learn to um, how to do those photographs. Yeah, I agree. Let's do it. All right. So I do, I do need to jump in and correct myself because I was so far off. Um, this is me just remembering how expensive uh, it was on the tour, but I did actually look it up. So um, it was the equivalent of like the median income, like a laborer or a tradesperson's income for a month would be the cost of the stereoscope, but it was only about $20 or so. Um, but still, that was like most people's monthly salary. He was able to spend it on a luxury item. So it still does show uh, how successful his law practice was. But I was way off. But on my on my telling of no my retelling of the uh, we should have called a ranger or something. But anyway, <laughs> I think it's kind of. I can guarantee you, my parents did not spend a month payment on the plastic one that I looked at my He-Man stuff no, through. So neither did um, mine. <laughs> but I got so much yeah, mileage out of that. Anyways. Uh, I mean, because I was thinking of like a, like a comparable thing. I don't know if there is a comparable thing because, like, I remember when I was a kid, then, like, when we got our Nintendo, those mm-hmm. were like 100 bucks or so, which was, at the, of course, a lot of money. And I was, you know, thanks, Mom and Dad, for getting it. But, like, um, there's no way that was a month's wage for anybody, hopefully, you know, unless you're, you know, obviously it was for some. I don't want to be insensitive, but, um, but yeah, so to 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 put that in perspective, whatever twenty two hundred, it doesn't really matter. I think the one thing that puts it in perspective for me is it was about a month's salary for a laborer, which at the time was enough to live. I mean, you know, you still be, you know, it was the mid mid nineteenth century, so living conditions weren't great, but still, a month's salary for anybody is a lot of money. And it was a, a form of entertainment in its day as well well yeah and, and the thing that's that i think actually kind of uh informs a little bit about lincoln himself is the the most popular and of course this was before the civil war obviously it was in springfield for lincoln um but the most popular images were from around the world so he would see like the pyramids of, of giza in egypt or he would see you know israel things in israel or um you know buckingham palace or something like um, and then things from even 
you know, East Asia and whatever else. So um, I think Lincoln starts to kind of, that's how people in those days would kind of the closest they would, many of them would come to experiencing traveling abroad um, because even like paintings and drawings and stuff, like it's not, it's not as if in the middle of Illinois in this, in a town, which was essentially the frontier in those days, they would have even really had books with, with not photos, but paintings or drawings or anything. So um, the fact that it was a 3d image of, all of these exotic places to them around the world, um, I think is, is pretty cool. And I think that's, that's largely why Lincoln's goal or dream, I guess, after he was president was, was to travel the world. Of course he wasn't able mm-hmm. to do that, but. Well, it's really cool that people could have that, you know, kind of, it made the world a smaller place for them to be able to, to see that stuff too. Yeah. yeah and sure. I think, going back to Lincoln too, I think he's like one of the first presidents to use a picture of himself during the election mm-hmm. with him and Hamlin on there, um, which is just kind of showing you just how in the forefront Lincoln is right around. I mean, like we just said earlier, you know, the Civil War and photo- and taking pictures are coming kind of into its own at this time, and Lincoln's one of the beneficiaries of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that can be overstated, the role of photography, not only in Lincoln's political career, but also in kind of the lore of Lincoln, like how Lincoln has become such an icon. Like he wasn't the only bearded president. He wasn't the only president who wore a top hat, but like beard and top hat equals Lincoln, no matter what. Like if you, and even though it was fairly common in the mid to late 19th century to wear that, to, to have whiskers and to wear a top hat, um, you know, I think that iconic look and everything is is in part of, and it's it's a small part, but I do think photography played a role in this mythic uh, Lincoln that kind of emerges over time because there are so many images of him, but it's still with that early photography technology. So, you know, it's you're still trying to kind of still kind of trying to picture what what he would look like in person. Like you don't really have like like a real feel for it because there's no color obviously. And, you know, they're all posed. Um, but the fact that, you know, there's so many very recognizable iconic photos of Lincoln. And you think of other presidents, really Mm -hmm. almost any other president. And you just don't feel that, you know, maybe up until president Obama. I mean, there's, there's photos of, obviously there's thousands of photos of every president, but, you know, you could probably picture, like, if you saw, if you said, like, the, the photo of Lincoln in the campaign before he had his beard, you know, of course, there's the $5 bill, and then there's the photo, there's one where he's looking straight at the the camera that, you know, is on, it's just on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's photos of Mary Lincoln that are iconic, too. So, you know, I, I do think that the fact that, that he is really the first president who people can really, truly visualize helped i think kind of create that create that mythic status of course um just a sliver of of all of the things that added to that but i do think it's worth noting no i i definitely agree with you like he's the most he's one of the most photographed men of his day Mm -hmm. um especially during the civil war which is when i think obviously the bulk of his photos are taken during the civil war because at that time like photography was really starting to take off but yeah it definitely contributes to like kind of the myth that is built up around him and 
and I've often wondered, you know, looking at photos, I'm like, well, he's posed, but how did he look when he was actually like smiling or relaxed or whatever, you know? Yeah. And the one thing I like, and we're getting a little bit off in the weeds here, but there's not a photo of him laughing. Like, and you could, you couldn't really do that, but like, man, that's like, that's where I struggle a little bit because like, you know, the stories, you know, the sense of humor, it's written so well by so many biographers, but somehow it's just kind of difficult to grasp. You know, yeah. thankfully Daniel Day Lewis is a is a, is a god among men, and he can. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna go with go with how he did it. Yeah. Um, but still, like you just kind of, and maybe that's the fun part too. Maybe maybe there's still an element of you've got to you've got to use your imagination to a certain extent to to picture mm-hmm. him, you know, and to kind of, you know, think about that. Um, but you know, his laugh is something that's not really you know, described well. I mean, it's talked about, I suppose. Um, But there's books like Lincoln's Body is is Mm -hmm. one um, that talks about, and and Burlingame does a really good job of it too, of talking about his walk. He had a very distinctive walk. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that based on Burlingame's description of it, Daniel Day-Lewis does it really well, especially in that last scene when he's leaving the White House for the last time, where you can see down to the walk that he, you know, they describe it like he kind of like, the way yeah. he lifted his foot seems like really deliberate and and kind of not unique, but certainly different than most people. Um, but that's one thing you know a photograph is never going to capture. And then of course there's the higher pitched voice and all those other things. But specifically to the photography thing, like we don't ever really see his full smile. We don't really mm-hmm. see his laugh. We don't really see him playing with Tad. We don't see the way he looked at Mary. So, like, there's enough, and maybe that also plays into that myth a little bit, too, because there's enough photos where we know very well what he looks like. We can picture him saying things, but the human side of it isn't always there, or is only slightly there, and we kind of have to use that poetic license a little bit to look through his eyes and to try to to try to try picture that. And, and that's kind of fun. You know, there, there's enough information there where it's not like you're thinking whatever, making up whatever you want. But you still kind of have to use what you know of Lincoln, mm-hmm. use what you see to kind of picture in your mind's eye what that might have looked like. And I, I enjoy that. No, oh, I, I enjoy that, too. And there was two men during the Civil War that actually helped bring these photos um, of Lincoln to us. They're, they're the reason that we have, um, quite, you know, a few of these photos of Lincoln anyway. Like, they're not, you know, there was other photographers, too, besides Matthew Brady and Alexander Gardner that took photos of him. Um, By the way, that was a brilliant redirect from pulling me from way off into the in the weeds right back into what oh, we're supposed to be talking about. So <laughs> this, that is what you call podcast hosting right there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I did agree with everything you said, and it was you're very, like, very well like, Calm down. Calm down. Come over here. <laughs> back here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to begin with Matthew Brady, who is known as the fa- father of photojournalism. Um, he's born in 1822 in Warren County, New York. Now, his exact date of birth is not known. He simply stated he was born between 1822 and 1824. Um, His parents were Irish immigrants, Andrew and Samantha Julia Brady. He was the youngest of three children. And in some documents, he claimed to have been born in Ireland. So he's kind of got this unknown starting point in life, um, which I think adds... I don't know, for me, a bit to the, the interest of Matthew Brady, that he's just kind of like, we know him, but not really. 
Um, so how he found photography was he is said to have been on a trip to Albany, New York when he was around 16, where he was in search of a cure for eye inflammation. And he met portrait painter William Page, who introduced him to inventor of the telegraph, as well as professor of art, painting and design at New York University, Samuel F.B. Morse. Morse teaches Brady about the newly developed technology of daguerreotype, which, as I and, said... And real quick, by the way, yeah. that, it is that Morse, right? Yes. Of, of code fame? Yeah. Yep. Yep, like the tapping... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that Morse. Um, so daguerreotype, which, as I said, was the process of creating a mirror image on silver sur- surface copper plate. And Morse eventually opens a studio where he taught photography classes, and Brady was one of his first students. This was something I didn't know that Samuel Morse did. I thought he was just inventor of the telegraph. I had no idea he was involved in photography. So when I found that out, I was like, whoo, this is really... That's kind of cool. Um, so in New York City, Brady manufactures cases for daguerreotypes for jewelry and painted miniature portraits. And he opens the Daguerrean Miniature Gallery in 1844. And in 1845, he begins to exhibit portraits of famous Americans that's he, that he has photographed. And he wins, new, he wins awards many years in a row um, at the American Institute's annual fair. So 1844... 45, 46, 49, and 57. So he's already, you know, shown to be a pioneer in this this emerging field of photography. And it's here in New York that he begins photographing some very well-known Americans, including Edgar Allan Poe, James Fenimore Cooper, and Daniel Webster. And he wins medals for his daguerreotypes at the Fair of All Nations in 1851 in London, as well as New York's annual exhibition at the Crystal Palace. Um, in 1850, he marries Julia Handy, and they live on Stanton Island, and he produces the Gallery of Illustrious Americans, which was a collection of prominent contemporary figures, including an elderly Andrew Jackson. And I had a look at that photo of Andrew Jackson. He is indeed very elderly in it. Like, I would... Yes, quite. Yeah, I know, yeah and that's, I, it's one of the few photos of andrew jackson because mm-hmm. um, that's another one like we don't there's not photos of him when he was you know in his prime so yeah. i think people kind of picture him as an older man but mm-hmm. um but yeah that's it's it's yeah it's worth a google check that photo out and then in 1856 he places an ad in the new york herald offering to produce photographs ambrotypes and daguerreotypes and the ad is considered to have been quite inventive um, since it pioneered the use of typeface and fonts that were different from the text of the publication and from other advertisements. So this is why he's like known as the father, father of photojournalism, because he's doing something different. So if you have a paper that's got all the same typeface and the ads all look the same, if you do an ad that looks different, you're going to get noticed. So again, he's a being a pioneer in this in this field um so that leads us into the civil war um there's an increase in the sales of carte de vite when the civil war breaks out and brady runs an ad in the new york daily tribune and i just when i read it i'm like that's really morbid but i had to remember that this is the victorian period and they're it's a civil war it said you cannot tell how soon it may be too late so come get your photograph taken and make sure your family has one of you because you might not be coming home. 
Yeah, I think there's something to that, though. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and then that probably led to a lot of those photos being made. But then again, you also have people who were probably on farms not too long ago, and now they're in uniform. Mm-hmm. I'd want my photo taken. You know, I mean, that's it's you know, and you can see that the style of the poses are all you kind of see that that swag kind of in the in the subjects. Yeah, like oh, we're going off on an adventure. Like, and I think that's how they how they look in a lot of those photographs. Um, so Brady gets the idea to document the war. So he goes to General Winfield Scott for permission, and he eventually makes an application to Lincoln. Lincoln grants him permission, but Brady must finance the project himself. And Brady stated, I had to go. A spirit in my feet said, go, and I went. And there were many dangers in doing this. There's obviously financial risks because he's putting his own money into it. And even Brady's friends tried to discourage him, but that didn't stop him. And nothing like this had ever been done before. This is the first time a battle, like a war, is about to be documented in the way that Brady wants to document it. Um, And he had other photographers helping him, including Timothy H. O'Sullivan, Alexander Gardner, William Pyle, George M. Bernard, Thomas C. Roche, and James F. Gibson. And Gardner is the best known of these men, and I'm sure our listeners know who have heard his name many times before. Um, something very surprising about Brady, and I don't know if you two knew this or not, um, he stayed in Washington and rarely visited the battlefield. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, because as, as and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but like as you're looking at all the photos that are credited to Brady, um, you know, when you own the company and you and you own the camera and you pay the photographers, I guess you can get credit for the photos in those days. So, you know, many of the photos that are Matthew Brady photos, it it some of them you don't know if it was actually and it likely wasn't Matthew Brady um, snapping the snapping the actual shot or whatever whatever they did in those days. Um, I'm sure they didn't call it snapping, um, but yeah, there you know, there's so many iconic photos one that and and we'll get to this in a second but kind of going through the iconic ones but one good example is there's that very famous photo of grant with his arm up on the tree Mm -hmm. um and i think was that at shiloh i no it was um in the 18 late 1863 early 1864 i think it was okay it was past shiloh yeah well with brady being in in the capital, unless it was very late in the war, you would Grant was a long ways away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you know, he almost for sure didn't take that photo, but he's credited as having taken it. So, um, well, all right, is that Cold Harbor? So, yeah. Cold Harbor was, yeah. So, um, yeah, Lieutenant General Ulysses Grant, which that's a great photo. I'm sure you can probably picture it. In your, you know, just you know, Grant leaning against a tree. Um, one of the best photos of Grant. One of my favorite photos of Grant. Yeah, it, it's basically the photo where he looks like you know, I've come to kick ass and smoke cigars, and I'm out of cigars. <laughs> That's what that photo is like. I've seen it caption captioned as that before. <laughs> yeah, except he was never out of cigars, but you know, I know. That's on, not the yeah, point. That's not the yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good way to say it. Yeah, uh, my friend Jen and I call it Grant's GQ pose. Yeah, it's well, 
again, I'm going off in the weeds, but um, when you read biographies of Grant, they always talk about how much weight he gained when he took his like European trip and everything. Yeah. Um, and then you look at some of those photos later in his life, and you look at that photo, and you're just I like, know. I'm like, oh, he's so come on, dang man. Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm not here to, put, you know, whatever. We're not body shaming anybody, including no. Ulysses Grant, but you can definitely see that uh, his lifestyle was significantly different. Yes, very. Much. Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed in the photo, and just like it's just it's kind of the iconic Grant photo as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's very much how I've always pictured Grant. Yep, other than the one in the $50 bill, which is also Matthew Brady. Yes. Nick, did you have anything to add at all about uh, Matthew Brady during the Civil War? No, I mean, he's just kind of like, he's playing the producer role, Mm -hmm. which is actually, when you're dealing with that much equipment and stuff like that, I mean, without him, those guys wouldn't have been able to take the pictures. I mean, he's the one organizing this stuff, keeping the negatives, um, which he works his whole life to keep in good conditions. Um, and just, it's just really impressive. I mean, that he did that. He felt the need to do it, to capture it. Um, I think it's a very important to capture that stuff. Um, uh, especially what war does. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that I, I wish there was more stuff out there so people could see it and not ignore it. Um, and I think that was important. It makes people think hopefully a little bit more about stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the logistics of doing this stuff is something that I don't think, um, a lot of people think about i mean even if you go to the white house photographer i mean they're working with the crew it's just not one man there's just too much of the stuff to handle um so you're talking thousands of pictures that's got to be stored kept um especially in that day and age where it was a lot more sensitive with keeping your negatives so it's quite remarkable that he was willing to do that and he never really gets out of the financial trouble from that either so he truly did this, um, you know, a labor of love, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us to look at, study from, you know, 2019. Yeah, exactly. Like, we have his legacy to look at, you know, to see uh, yeah. the battle. And I think that's a huge misconception about Brady because he's known. I mean, he it was a business. Like, if you, mm-hmm. all of those photos of soldiers, you know, looking so regal and proud like they bought those and sent them to their families. It was a business. And, you know, as far as volume goes, the business was good, but the cost, like Nick was talking about of equipment and, you know, transporting it and keeping all the negatives. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it was quite as lucrative as a lot of people think. Um, but it is interesting to compare like who has, you know, who owns rights to photos, what that means Mm -hmm. from an artistic and copyright creative property standpoint. And how he, you know, created the most recognizable works in American history and, and really didn't profit a whole lot from, from the notoriety, at least, that they gained. Yeah, yeah, he's not, like, he's not getting, every time somebody looks at a Brady photo, like, whoever is left of his family is not getting money from right, that. The, like, the Brady estate. Yeah, the Brady estate's not, not getting money um, from it, and... um you know he's having to pay obviously probably pay these photographers that are out at Antietam and at Gettysburg taking these pictures too um and part of the reason that Brady actually didn't go on the battlefield was because his eyesight had begun to deteriorate um in the late 1850s which is kind of a sad part of his story like you're a photographer and your eyesight is deteriorating Um, it's like the Beethoven of photography yes yeah and 
Brady in his studio dealt with the most distinguished subjects. Um, so most portrait, but then there was other portrait sessions that would be carried out by others. But, you know, it was kind of like, it's like, oh, I want this taken by Matthew Brady. You probably would have had to pay more money to have it taken by Matthew Brady. Because by this point, when he's got his studio established in Washington in during the Civil War, he's obviously quite well known. Um, and then in October of 1862, and this is obviously about a month after the Battle of Antietam, he opens an exhibition of photographs from the Battle of Antietam in his New York gallery called The Dead of Antietam. And these are graphic images of corpses. Nothing like this had ever been seen before. And this is the first time that America is seeing the realities of the Civil War. And I'm sure, like, for us looking at it, I know the first time I saw them, you know, it was shocking to me. I can't imagine what it was like for somebody in that time, you know, when photograph, like photography was just a very new thing to walk into a gallery and see a photo of a dead soldier, see a photo of a dead horse, see those bodies that like, you know, that are around the Dunker church. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, in, that the impact. I, I mean, the only thing you can really compare it to is when they started showing live images of Vietnam mm-hmm. on on television in the United States. Like, I think that that's maybe historically one of the few comparisons you can make. Of you know, obviously, people knew the casualties, they knew the numbers, they knew that there was you know, almost, you know, so frequent amputations, and but like to actually see. You know that the, you know, and there's that iconic photo of the you know there's like very clearly it's a photo of one corpse essentially, but like in the background there's just dozens of others. Um, it's 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 moving and it had a huge impact mm-hmm. on on everyone who saw it. Yeah, and because of Matthew Brady and his assistants, thousands of photos of the Civil War were taken, and this has led to a better understanding of the Civil War even to this day. And as I said earlier, actual battles were not able to be photographed because photography is still in the early stages of its development. And um, quite surprisingly, after the war, people lost interest in seeing Brady's photographs and his popularity declined drastically. And um, But during the war, he spent like $100,000 to create 10,000 plates. And after the Civil War, he expected the government to buy these. And they refused. So Brady ends up having to sell his New York studio and go into bankruptcy. Um, In 1875, Congress gives him $25,000, but he still remains in debt. And on January 15th, 1896, Brady will die penniless in New York City. And he's buried at the Congressional Cemetery in Washington, D.C. So there's a sad end to his story. Um which I was actually quite surprised to read that he died penniless, but he, like, as Nick said, labor of love was what he did. And um, Lincoln, like, just specifically Lincoln and Brady, um, Brady photographed 18 of 19 American presidents, including Lincoln. And yes, Nick, he did photograph Fillmore. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I saw that. Yep. (laughs) I'm surprised he probably had to get a new camera after that. Wow. Whoa. So everyone who's seen the Millard Fillmore, Alec Baldwin side by side, one of those photos was taken by Matthew Brady. Yep. I think. I, I'm guessing that's the one. I, I don't know. It probably was. 
someone tur- someone took that photo of Fillmore and put the smile thing on it. It was really disturbing. I'm pretty sure I texted it to Nick when that happened. <laughs> um, I don't know so, what he has to smile about. Uh, well, I guess it must have been. Uh, I guess tonight he's smiling a little bit easier now that uh, Trump's been officially impeached. Uh, so maybe there's somebody <laughs> below him on the rankings now. I'm not the worst president. <laughs> Um, the Lincoln penny is also from a Brady photograph, and so is the image on the $5 bill. So Brady's legacy is is living on. Um, he took the the photo that is said to have helped elect him, like Lincoln, as president, and he took this photo on February 27, 1860, the same day that Lincoln gave his famous Cooper Union address in New York. And Lincoln is beardless in the picture, but it is said that this photo... Um, was what helped him become president and that's that's pretty cool like and it's a it's an excellent photo of lincoln it's a really good picture uh it's a pretty good trip out to new york for him he gets some uh east coast recognition for the speech gets a nice picture out of it that's used um yeah that trip does he get elected without it i don't know no yeah. i think unequivocally no. no no unequivocally is that even the reward absolutely not there, I, that yeah. made him the national figure that he ended up being. yeah which I this is going off again in the weeds, but uh, have we done an episode about Cooper Union yet? I thought we did. Yes, yeah, if, if we did, it was early. We'll have to look up that. We'll have to look back at yeah. that. Okay, back to <laughs> episode. Sorry, rail splitters. Sometimes we derail. Um, Just derail. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the importance of Matthew Brady is, you know, not only do we have these the fo- like, you know, he's. His photo is what the Lincoln Penny is based off of, $5 bill, but he's also, as we've seen, the father, father, father of photojournalism. And he's also kind of paved the way for this, like, combat photography. And he did it as, you know, just, he lost money doing it. He died bankrupt, but he felt he had to do it. And good for him. Because of him, we have a better understanding of the Civil War. And we have these photographs that we're able to see today to keep that memory of the civil war alive so yeah and i think one thing that really should be noted um and i'm sure probably many of our listeners are thinking it but the one well all of us but in the form of one person owes a huge debt of gratitude to matthew brady and that is ken burns Mm -hmm. um you know that that, like I, i think ken burns deserves all the credit in the world but Uh, A lot of, you know, he created his own, essentially uh, his own style of documentary because the photos of Matthew Brady, and of course it wasn't exclusively Matthew Brady, but, um, you know, that with the spoken word brought the Civil War to life in 1989 for many, many people. Um, And I think that that without the volume of uh, Matthew Brady's work, without him kind of creating the the genre, I guess, um, you, we don't have that or, or it would have been, you know, just think of the, um, when I'm watching that and then maybe this is me, but when I'm watching the civil war, when there's the voiceovers from David McCullough or, you know, Shelby foot or, um, Doris Kearns Goodwin or whoever. And it's a photo. It feels real, not to disrespect any painters, but when they're showing the paintings of the battlefield, just doesn't i mean it's it's good the whole work is good but it just doesn't quite have the same mm-hmm. effect yeah. you know you see you just see you know because like the theme 
one of the major themes of that work, Ken Burns' Civil War, is not necessarily the generals and Lincoln. It's the the fact that it was, you know, these farmers and laborers and, you know, 17-year-old kids, you know, that, that one day were chilling in some town in Maine and the next day they're on this great adventure and months later they're among a hundred thousand troops in a major battle. Right. Um, but you see that in those photos, you see that, you know, in their faces, especially when it's combined with talented historians and narrators Mm -hmm. and writers kind of filling in the gaps, I guess. So that whole work, I think, you know, you owe a ton to Matthew Brady and most of the photos that you're probably picturing when you think of Ken Burns civil war were probably from Matthew Brady's studio. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would completely agree. And um, one of those people that might have taken some of those photos when he worked for Matthew Brady's studio was Alexander Gardner. And he's probably the most well-known of Brady's assistants. He was born October 17th, 1821 in Scotland. Um, In 1856, he um, immigrates to the U.S., and he starts working for Matthew Brady. He's also, um, before I forget to mention this, um, in the documentary Killing Lincoln, which we did an episode about almost a year ago, um, he is, he's in that, like, like well, not the Alexander Gardner, obviously, but there's an actor portraying him. But he's in it taking photos of Lincoln, and they show him taking the photos of the conspirators after they've been caught as well. And he also photographs the the hanging of the the conspirators who were involved in the Lincoln assassination. So Alexander Gardner plays quite a prominent role especially especially near the end of Lincoln's presidency. Um so Gardner took on increasing responsibilities as Brady's eyesight began to fill him and in 1858 he's in charge of Brady's Washington DC gallery. In 1862, the management of that gallery ends, and Alan Pinkerton recommended Gardner for the position of chief photographer under the jurisdiction of U.S. topographical engineers, and following this, Gardner became the staff photographer under General McClellan. So he photographed the Battle of Antietam in September of 1862. He had a traveling darkroom, and Gardner often has his work misattributed to that of Matthew Brady, and we discussed this before. That there's a lot of like, a lot of photos that were taken that are attributed to Brady, that someone else might have taken the photograph. Um, he ends his working relationship with Brady soon after McClellan is let go from the Army of the Potomac, and he photographs the aftermath of the Battle of Fredericksburg. In May of 1863, he opens his own photography studio with his brother James in Washington D.C. And he photographs the Battle of Gettysburg and the Siege of Petersburg. And there's a bit of controversy with him because he's said to have manipulated some of the photographs, including the famous home of a rebel sharpshooter from Gettysburg. So I'm sure some of our listeners know what I'm talking about, where there's that, there's like the body of the dead Confederate soldier and the gun. Apparently that was completely staged which is well, interesting. Yeah. Which thinking about it, like you need like a multi-second exposure to get any photo. So, I mean, like they're all staged. Oh yeah. Kind of. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, 
if it was staged, then it's obviously a different type of historic document. Yes. Um, but of course, I think everybody who's, you know, thinking about military staged military photos, of course, that Iwo Jima photo comes to mind as like the the staged military mm-hmm. photo that was used for different reasons, you know, to kind of whip up yeah. support for a cause. But but then staging still happens in the present day too. With like oh, for sure. Most recent present day as well. Yes, um, and you'll yeah. hear a lot about that in the next episode. Yes. Um, so regarding Alexander Gardner and Lincoln, they met in February of 1861 at Matthew Brady's studio. And Alexander Gardner took more photos of Lincoln than anyone else. Now, this number seems small, just 38, but that's more than anyone else took of Lincoln. Um, so in a way, I guess he could be Lincoln's photographer. Um, he documented Lincoln's funeral, and he photographed the conspirators as well as the, the execution of them. And he also took a photo of Booth while Booth was on the autopsy table. And this photo has never been found at all it's one of the stories is that stanton took it immediately after it was developed and nobody knows where it is stanton's like i'm gonna fuel conspiracy theories by doing this like yeah. i'm gonna I'm, hide I'm, this he's photo. Like, I'm predicting the future in the 20th century people are gonna get this complete bs conspiracy theory and me stealing this photo is going to feed into yeah. that so so well it's going to be found in somebody's attic someday it's yeah it's on a glass plate that you know that sounds crazy but that happened with a photo of lincoln lincoln's corpse lincoln in, a, in his casket yep. uh stanton and it was stanton was adamant that no one was to take a photo of lincoln in the funeral mm-hmm. you know lincoln laying in state lincoln laying in state at the state capitals or wherever else he traveled and uh some kid in like the 1950s found a photo in a book like like literally in a book like not, it wasn't published in a book but it was stuck in a book of Lincoln I think he was in Cleveland or somewhere somewhere around there uh, and now it's I think the only photo of Lincoln's like a, a, a funeral for Lincoln mm, as yeah. his funeral procession kind of traveled from Washington to Springfield so yeah. um, very very fascinating story behind that and Gardner took the iconic Gettysburg photo on November 8th, 1863, two weeks before Lincoln gave the Gettysburg address. And what's that, what's that photo? Uh, it's called the Gettysburg photo. It's well, probably the most icon, like one of the more iconic photos of Lincoln. Um, he's just looking right at the, obviously looking right at the camera and he looks just so determined and, it's my favorite photo of him. And right. if you just Google Gettysburg Gettysburg photo, Lincoln, that's probably the one that will come up. Nick, do you know the one I'm referring to? I do not. Oh. Maybe if I saw it. I'm trying to Google it. Yeah, you'll probably see, like, oh, that one. Yes. <laughs> that one. Because there's the famous photo that's not a photo of the Gettysburg address itself because... Mm-hmm. The speech was so short that no one got a photo of it. Yeah, but this one's called the Gettysburg photo because it was taken a couple weeks before, and that's what it's been named as. And then he also took the, the one of his last photos um, that Lincoln had taken was taken by Alexander Gardner, and it's the one where the glass plate actually cracked. 
Yes, I absolutely love that photo. Yeah, that's not his... Um, it was discovered a few years ago that that's actually not the very last photo of Lincoln taken, but it's probably the second last photo of Lincoln taken. And, well, the last one taken is, I don't know if, if it's overexposed or what, the last, the, like the official last photo taken isn't that great as far no. as like detail and clarity goes. No. no. Um, but it, I'll, we'll talk a little bit later about why that photo is so great, but uh, that is certainly one among my favorites that was the when i got into lincoln when i opened up the time life civil war assassination of a president i just randomly opened it to a page and that was the page it fell upon was that image of the the cracked glass plate that was the first besides the photo on the front cover that was the second photo i saw of lincoln yeah and that's 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 the common one where they put like the the 1860 photo next to the 1865 photo yep. to, to say like, look how stressful being president was for Lincoln, which of course it was. He aged, yeah, I don't know, 15, 20 years. In, oh yeah, in those he was also years. dealing with the Civil War. Right. Yeah, he didn't sleep for five years. You know, I mean, it's yeah. uh, pretty insane. So, but yeah, that's like the the war weary look. It, not war weary, but like the impact of the war on him. Yes. They, they kind of look at that photo. So, but I'll talk about it later when we wrap up so yes um so post-civil war gardner was commissioned to photograph the native americans that came to washington to discuss treaties he surveyed the proposed route of the kansas pacific railroad um in 1871 he gave up photography and opened an insurance company and on his work that he did during the civil war it is it is designed to speak for itself as mementos of the fearful struggle through which the country has just passed it is confidently hoped that it will possess an enduring interest and it definitely has. You got that right. Yep. So that is our discussion on Civil War photography on Matthew Brady, as well as Alexander Gardner. Um, and we just wanted to end off with each of us ta- like just briefly talking about what our favorite photos are of from these. It can be from either of these men. Well, I kind of tipped my hand a little bit uh, yeah. because I do. The correct plate photo is is my favorite, but I, I'm going to kind of take two. Um, the reason I like the correct plate photo so much is not only because it's, well, I guess the second to last or among the last photos of Lincoln, but it's the one photo where you see a smile creeping in uh, and it's after the war essentially was over and, you know, kind of in that, those, those, those so, so few days in you know in april of 1865 when you know he was triumphant but that's one of the, the really the only photo where you really kind of see that smile creeping in a little bit and you can kind of see it not only just in his mouth but in his eyes as well um so that's um that's a photo that that, that i really really like um and have a version of it put on my arm permanently awesome. <laughs> um, uh, so I like that one and then uh, among my other ones is from Matthew Brady's studio it wasn't Matthew Brady himself but it was from his studio um, is the photo of Abraham Lincoln with Tad and they're looking at a book um, very clearly a staged portraity type photo um, but I just kind of like the the Lincoln as a parent image and him reading to his son I just think it's so cool I don't know, but you guys can probably see it right there. Yep. See it? Right. It's, it's on my wall in my office. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, things 
things change as you go through life and that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have registered near the top of my list 10 years ago or eight years ago. <laughs> but uh, since I've become a parent, that's just kind of a photo that I've kind of always looked at as, as just something that I like to see the human, you know, the more human side of Lincoln, certainly as a parent. And then of course you just got to see, you know, there's no way to think about Lincoln as a parent without thinking about the loss that he and Mary Lincoln suffered losses. Um, but anyway, that's, those are my two favorite. I really like the cracked, cracked plate photo. Cause it kind of gives, I think it gives a little bit more of a window into his soul and his personality more. And then I just like the, the dad photo, um, cause I'm a Lincoln dad and that's Lincoln as a dad. And that's I can awesome. like it. That's awesome. Nick. You're up. Yeah. I, uh, I've got to do this, but I was doing it. <laughs> Very diligently during the show here. That's yeah. it's honest that's, real splitter. That's for you. Re- and, and but that's real splitter style, actually, right there. It's <laughs> often we're like, oh yes, we better look that up right now. If you go to Flickr, you could actually uh, the U.S. National Archives um, has a little series of stuff. Okay. Uh, to me, the reason I think we know Matthew Brady and we're talking about him is not so much because of the Lincoln photos. Um, because there's been a lot of famous presidents who've had stuff that we don't necessarily talk about from that day and age. But I think it's because of his coverage of the Civil War. So I'm going with a picture that deals with Carver Hospital, Washington, D.C. And basically it's inside the hospital room. And you got kind of on the one right-hand side going down. Um, and the lower third, right third, is just kind of a bunch of beds. And then the guys, the majority of them are out of the beds, especially on the right side, sitting in chairs, posing. You got an American flag that's draping from the mm-hmm. ceiling and the upper right third. Um, and the stars are kind of put in. You got the stripes and the stars are in one giant star. And then in the middle, you got a dude in a wheelchair who's an amputee. Um, and then on the left side or the left half of the picture, you got some people in the bed, people looking over them. It seems to be kind of decorated for the holidays. Um, just kind of showing you the impact of war. Um, you know, you're getting these guys to the point where they're not in individual rooms because there's so many. They're put into one condition there. And I'm a big believer that it's important that we know um, or we could see. To me, the thing about pictures is it humanizes it or video. Um, it puts a face. It makes it more personal. It takes that name and a number and humanizes it. And I think that's mm-hmm. very important with a lot of things. And I think if we spent more time humanizing names and numbers and knowing backstories, uh, the world would be a lot better of a place. I agree. Uh, so I appreciate Matthew Brady, you know, kind of playing his part during that, as well as his crew during the Civil War. So that's the picture I picked. You can find it on the U.S. National Archives. I went. Yeah, and that's, that. uh, I, that's I love that picnic, and it's uh, pretty famous. I think if you're, and I, it's certainly in Ken Burns Civil War, so like it's kind of the Civil War hospital photo. There's amputees in there. There's you know you can see the suffering, you can see the camaraderie. Um, it's it's a great photo. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that was I've. As soon as you start talking about it, I knew the exact photo that you were were talking about. It's. It's a very moving picture, and and I agree with everything you said about it. So thank you for that. Um, the I actually was like Jeremy, and I 
I had a couple I couldn't decide between the two, but the first one I picked was of um sometimes the the story behind the photo is why I pick it. Um so the first one I picked it's attributed to Matthew Brady. Um it's General James B McPherson. He was one of the highest ranking, not the highest ranking, but one of the highest ranking. I think he was the second highest ranking officers killed during the Civil War. He was killed during the Battle of Atlanta. Um he was young he was very young when he was killed um but he was one of the most talented generals probably in the civil war um sherman admired him quite a bit um and spoke quite highly of him but the reason i picked it is because the photo he's looks so determined and determined relaxed and there's a slight smile on his face and um, it's also the story, like, as I said, the story behind it, but his personal story is that he left behind a fiance that she never married after that, but he just looks so just determined, you know, and that's the image that we have of him. And he was cut down before, you know, we'll ever know what he, he could have become in his life. So that's why that is one of my favorite photos. Um attributed to Matthew Brady. Um, and the other ones I picked are the photos of Lincoln and McClellan at Antietam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Particularly the ones where they're in the tent and where they're standing because body language is everything. And the one where they're standing, McClellan is kind of rearing back a little bit from Lincoln. And then in the tent, you can just sense the tension that is going on. That Lincoln's sitting there like, so it's been a while. What's going on? Are we moving the army? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think everybody has had that experience of like having your photo taken and posing for a photo that you just don't want. Yeah, you know, you're like, I just don't feel like having my picture taken right now. You know, <laughs> you like, did not I, want to be I, in that, that picture. happened to me yesterday. Um, but like that, there's that feeling, or like. You, you can tell that they don't like each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. like the way they're looking at each other, like, like you know, they had to, like, stand still, and they're just looking at each other and just, you know, like, gritting their teeth a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that the last thing they wanted, and, and I guess that shows a little bit. I, I mean, this is me, obviously, projecting that, that neither one of them wanted to, but I can't imagine they're, like, talking things like hey you know what let's take a picture like come yeah. on come on everybody yeah, yeah. everybody get in like come on we're taking a picture like i don't think that's what happened um but yet again whoever proposed taking a photo they clearly agreed to it and, and ended up taking it so i don't know if it was for posterity or what but uh the tension that is one photo where i think you can kind of feel a little bit more emotion in the space and there's definitely some tension there and he captured it and it shows up on on the film yeah yeah, and both like both the standing and in the tent uh-huh. capture it so well what was happening, and so those are the two that I picked. So we're on to our weekly segments. So we have um, of the people by the people, and I'm guessing we are real splitter prepared for that. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit more prepared. I oh, just gotta get okay. it pulled up. Go ahead, Nick. We have a new review. I okay. don't think we've mentioned it on air. Our 60, we've been rated 63 times. So if you want to help us get to 75, you better chime in here soon because it's going to happen before you know it. Um, 
But no, in all seriousness, if you like what you hear, go on there and rate us. If you don't like what you hear, go give us a five-star review and then badmouth us in the actual uh, write-up. So we got Joe. This is December 8, 2019. Joe D-Nice. Uh, that's probably not how you pronounce it at all, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, five-star review. Honestly, I stumbled upon this podcast on Twitter. Thanks for my other friends who are Civil War geeks. I enjoy the format and the sidetracking banter. It helps with the oh yes. Someone actually enjoys us. Yes. That's like the biggest complaint we get. <laughs> this is my new favorite review. And Joe wants to see some episodes in the future on the 1862 Maryland campaign. Ooh. Oh, so, done. Um, done. After that review, man, done. Done. Doing it. We'll do whatever you want. <laughs> so shout out to Joe D-Nice. Um, and sorry for saying your last name right. It is D-E-N-I-C-E, so it could be D-Nice. Um, that's what I like to think it is. Not that it, the correct way is wrong either. Um, but thank you. Go ahead. You know, you like what you hear. Share it with your friends. Go rate us. Help us climb up that, you know, ladder. What were we ranked a few weeks ago? Like uh, 1,000 oh, something. And, we were, uh, I, yep. the, the ranking we had is that, that we were ranked, and, I, and I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. But and you know what? As far as Abraham Lincoln podcasts go, we're number one. That's right. Yes. We are. Uh, mine, I'll just jump in. Um, one of my favorite Instagram follows, and, and it kind of fits in with this topic, uh, is the former Chief White House photographer, Pete Souza, who just posted today, uh, when we're recording this, uh, a photo of John Lewis that he had taken a while ago. John Lewis is, uh, I just admire him so much. He's one of my heroes. Um, but uh, Pete Souza uh, posted a photo of John Lewis uh, that he had taken, and then a, a quote that John Lewis said today, um, which is something that I kind of live by a little bit, and it kind of ties in with what I was saying about the Lincoln uh, and Tad photo. Um, he was talking specifically about impeachment, but I think this could be applied to anything. Our children and their children will ask us, what did you do? What did you say? We have a mission and a mandate to be on the right side of history. Um, John Lewis is has for 70 years now been on the right side of history. And um, he's just an inspiration to me. And that's a great Twitter follow, Instagram follow, everything else. So I like that one. That's what awesome. I picked for today. So mine comes from one of our listeners who posted in our Rail Splitter face on our Rail Splitter face, Facebook page. Which thank you to everybody who contributes on there and posts stuff. Like you guys, you guys are amazing, and you keep that community alive, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, this is from our listener uh, Mark Radigan, and he got a painting commissioned, and it's done, and it arrives tomorrow. And he posted a picture of it because I guess he it was sent to him. It is of my favorite General Sherman, and it's my favorite picture of Sherman that's been painted as a portrait, and it is really, really well done. And I'm jealous. I want it for my house. And I know exactly. I saw that, too. I thought it was amazing. And yeah. that was, like, it looks kind of like, and, okay, pardon my, I'm a novice person about art, but it kind of looks like a Van Gogh kind of style. It like does. The way the, which I thought was super cool. I thought it was yep. just a really, really cool portrait. Yeah, it, whoever painted it did an amazing job. And Mark, I am 
I'm very happy for you that you have that hang. You will have that hanging in your house, but I'm also kind of jealous. <laughs> Just low key jealous, though. Like not. Please keep listening to the show. <laughs> I don't hate you. <laughs> um, okay, so that leads into our last segment, which is this week in Lincoln. Which I do have one. It's kind of odd. Go for it. Okay, yep. so I, when I was in Ohio for American Thanksgiving, um, I'm into craft beer, so I always come home with a bunch of different craft beers because you can make your own six packs but one of my favorite breweries is uh 21st amendment and they had a new one out called blah 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 ipa and it had a bunch of protesters on the front and i'm like oh that's an ipa that's my favorite beer i'll pick it up well had one can of it when i was in ohio and then i was having another one a few like last week when i was back home again and i suddenly noticed that on the can is Abraham Lincoln holding a protest sign saying blood free, blood orange free or die IPA and I'll hold it up for, I don't know if, how well you guys can mm-hmm. see it. Can you see mm-hmm. him there? It, it looks very much like a kind of like a socialist kind of you know, yeah. bourgeoisie kind of not bourgeoisie, what's the yeah. other one? Proletariat? Proletariat like yeah. kind of like power to the people kind of protest and he's just kind of in the background but yeah it's awesome but i noticed it after and i'm like that's not why i bought the beer but and it's good beer but anyway i'll take it i'll be honest i saw that beer at at our woodman's at our local grocery store i'm like that looks like something mary would buy i totally did but that's not why i bought it i was just like oh 21st amendment has one i haven't tried yet i'll buy that i didn't realize it had lincoln on it until i was like you know after I was back home in Goddard again, and I'm like, oh, that's odd. <laughs> well, anyway, that's that, awesome, though. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, that is our show for this evening. Um, so, any parting thoughts, Nick and Jeremy? Well, yes. Um, if it's okay with my fellow rail splitters, uh, for those of you who listened to the, to the very end of this episode, I think we can reveal our very, very big news in Rail Splitter Land, which is the guest we are going to have on our show next week. It is part two. You're thinking, how could there be a part two? You all covered presidential and Civil War photography so well. Well, uh, and I need to thank Mary for this. I, I, in passing, had said kind of what a dream episode I had. Like, this would be my ideal episode. I think it would be so cool. I've thought about it since we started the podcast. And Mary said, well, just ask. Just, Just reach out which sounded crazy to me, but I did it. And, um, so when we, next week we will be talking about presidential photography with a former presidential photographer. So next week we have a conversation about presidential photography, about the white house, about presidents, about Matthew Brady with none other than Pete Souza, who is the former presidential white house photographer and the current dominator of social media and it is uh it's a it's a pretty cool experience i'll never forget it and i think you'll enjoy it uh so those of you you get first you know first who our special huge guest is as far we value all our guests all our guests are awesome no no one is better than the other this particular guest has a much bigger social media footprint, I think, than <laughs> most of our other guests, guests, and is probably a little bit more well-known. Um, so we're pretty pretty stoked about this. So if you want to know more, hear the conversation about presidential photography um, from, from the current uh, state of it. Um, next week is going to be a good episode for you. I actually have beef with one of our guests that we had. 
And, what? And this, no, this you goes don't. to our producer, Jer. <laughs> what? Because what? he backed out of the horseshoe in Springfield. <gasps> He's still dead to me, Jer. <laughs> don't be as another you're this, As you're editing this, I hope you hear this. I'm you noting the time coward. that this is happening. You so you coward. This is, this is throwing shade. We'll also talk about throwing shade next week because that's yes. um, shade, a book by Pete Souza. And just for no the record, my husband is not allowed to eat a horseshoe. But if it does, I give you props for that, Jer, for putting, <laughs> for letting me tarnish your food cowardice. How do you know? My husband is still not allowed to eat a horseshoe. Yes. What? He's still not allowed to eat a horseshoe, is he? I we'll see. We'll see. Oh. Not outside of Springfield, that's for damn sure. He's gotta earn it. There's not a whole lot of places outside of Springfield that have <laughs> yeah. horseshoes. He better not be yeah. eating no damn Canadian horseshoe. <laughs> it's poutine. poutine right? That's poutine. The yeah. horseshoe. Yeah, exactly. poutine. He, he could eat that all he wants. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, I think we can uh, end this episode. So thank you all for listening and keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next time.